0: So, Lauren, it's just about Christmas. Uh, last week or so, you posted on our to our Facebook page a link to some website that was clearing out old 80s tea sweaters, and they had a bunch of He-Man and She-Ra Christmas sweaters. Yeah. Did you know that I bought the limit of three of those?
1: So I, I know that you bought... A number of them. I didn't realize it was three or that they stopped you from buying them at that point. You
0: have to buy a yearly membership for like $25 if you wanted more than three. So I just bought three. I bought the He Man cast, the She Ra cast, and then I had to buy it one size too big, but I wasn't going to say no to the Skeletor holding relay saying, I am not nice. I am not kind.
1: I came, I had that one in my cart because I remembered the joy that I felt when we watched the holiday special together with all of our friends and he was the best character. And I just, I got self-conscious. I was worried like if I wore it, people wouldn't get it. And I shouldn't be like that. This podcast is my whole thing.
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, holidays are coming up. I watch the He-Man Christmas special every year as well as the community Christmas specials. How about you? Do you have any particular watching traditions?
1: Um I try to watch uh, Die Hard every year and that's kind of cliche but I didn't see Die Hard until I was 30 so it's it's still new and exciting to me.
0: So wait, you haven't seen Die Hard until 2 years in the future? Oh yeah. everybody. My name is Eric. That means I'm Lauren. And that means this must be She-Ra, Progressive of Power, the only podcast about She-Ra and the princesses of power and also politics.
1: You keep, oh, also politics. I, I was going to say, we keep saying it's the only She-Ra podcast, but I'm not so sure anymore. I
0: mean, I'm not so sure there's not other political shows, honestly, but... Uh, Who knows? Real quick, I guess we should mention the big news about the boy who brought us together, Mr. Amaya Pawar. If you live in Chicago, you might be aware that he's running for city treasurer on a very progressive campaign.
1: Yeah, I thought about uh, volunteering for his campaign once again because, you know, get the old gang back together, do what we did before. And then I realized... I'm in grad school now and I have this other podcast that I'm doing it's super important.
0: Right, so we should have Amaya on this show to talk about She-Ra as well. Yeah, what you're he probably
1: saying. owes us is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, when he's big time treasurer, we're going to call in some favors Chicago style. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, so we're here today to talk about the episode System Failure, e- emphasis on failure. No, sorry, but uh, <laughs> last week was Lauren's time to not like something, and this this week is mine. But I'm really glad that we have a guest who is here to um, shed some knowledge on this episode that I do not possess.
1: Also to be a total stan for Intra- Entrapta is my understanding.
0: There we go. Indeed. So, Lauren, would you like to do the introduction?
1: Sure. Uh, this is Duo Yang, and I brought in Duo for a lot of reasons. Duo's day job is to be a content creator for Khan Academy, which is an awesome educational website that helped me get into grad school, which I had mentioned earlier. And also, though, uh, he is a chef and makes things themed food for parties that I've been to, which is relevant to this episode, and uh, he really snared me in with uh, sort of an anecdote about research that was military funded in his past, and that's not a part of this episode, it's an Entrapta spoiler, but I really wanted to talk to him, so hello, duo, welcome!
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Duo, is this your first podcast?
2: It is my very first podcast.
1: Gosh, so many first podcasts. Ryan, it was his first podcast. Michael's first podcast. They're all doing such a good job. You would never know.
0: Yeah, I'm always honored. Uh, This happens a lot at my other show, too. My other show up until Saturday night, Your Stories. People always say, oh, this is the first time I've ever been a live storytelling event. I have uh, broken a lot of people's... uh, I'm trying to not to use the crudest metaphor here. I've introduced a lot of people to worlds uh, this way, and it makes me feel good.
1: That is true for me. Uh, your stories at Situitu was my first storytelling event.
0: That's crazy to me because you were such a part of the scene for so long, and you have so many stories.
1: Well— the the like geek kind of culture scene but they don't do a lot of storytelling events over there in that crowd i think you were doing a pretty unique thing at that convention
0: wow uh well this is not this show isn't about me that's what saturday (laughs) night is for so let's talk to duo duo um you are you work in tech so what what is it like do you feel a connection to entrapta given your um your career and your your passions so, I wouldn't say I work in tech, but I am very much tech-adjacent.
2: Um, the company headquarters is in Mountain View, which is, you know, in the heart of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, I would say my relationship to Entrapta is more from my past. I went to undergrad and grad school for engineering, and uh, I think that's where the STEM connection comes from.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Entrapta introduces... Uh stem to the princesses which is really cool uh that's a kind of a point of view that we hadn't seen reflected even in the original series um where entrapta was a villainess and duo actually watched her premiere episode which i didn't realize has some weird parallels to this episode uh probably intentionally because spoiler for my opinion i feel like this is the most filmationy of all of the princesses of power episodes So should we, Lauren, do you want to recap the episode before we dive in?
1: Sure, I'll give it my best shot. Yeah, I
0: did a great job last week of reading the Netflix recap.
1: (laughs) It was very well edited in, I'm sure nobody could tell. So this episode starts out with some human servants making tiny, cutesy food. It looks like a pig, it's adorable, and the tiny food is picked up by a robot and brought to Princess Entrapta. Now uh, the best friend squad is trying to recruit Entrapta for the rebellion because Entrapta is a tech genius who's trying to merge old ones tech with modern tech and they think she'll be able to either make weapons or at least understand the horde better. They think Entrapta will give the rebellion kind of a fighting chance through her brilliance. Uh, on the way, there are some interesting bits of dialogue. Uh, Bo is working on trick arrows that he thinks are, will impress Entrapta. And inside the palace, Entrapta is working on a disk. It has ancient code in it, and while she's trying to figure it out, it uh, basically becomes evil and infects all of her robots and sends a distress signal out from her palace. So she and Glimmer end up in, uh, with Entrapta, sort of trapped in a cage inside this maze of a palace. And Bo ends up with the servants. We find out that the robots are kind of sound activated, just like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. And both sides, you know, sort of bo- both teams that are going are trying to find each other throughout most of the episode. Adora ends up infected with the sort of virus and is out of commission for most of the episode. So it's up to Bo to inspire regular people once again to stand up and fight the lab. Uh, is taken over by the disc. It becomes so powerful that it starts making its own electricity. So even when the whole squad gets back together and pulls the plug on the machine, it's still going. Uh, Of course, Bo's sonic arrow saves the day by drawing the robots to beat up the source of the evil. And the couple of lessons in this one are that regular people can stand up and be rebels and we can't always rely on our superpowers. At the very end, there's a sting where we find out that Entrapta, even though her experiment failed, is still going to work on the disc and the music and the look on her face is very ominous. It is foreshadowing.
0: Yeah. So last week, you might remember, we started with why Lauren had misgivings about the episode, and then we kind of worked to a middle ground. So I'm going to kick things off, and then you guys can talk me out of my curmudgeoness. With your
1: misgivings?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think this is easily the weakest episode of the series, to the point that I would say it's the only bad episode of the series. Wow. And my brief perusals of He-Man.org seem to... Uh, everyone, Most people seem to be kind of on the same page. Uh, this episode is often remarked as boring and... Uh, kind of unimportant, and I think I see why, and I think it's because it is the most filmation-feeling episode. It is not that serialized. Like, other than the fact that they're going to recruit Entrapta for their Princess Alliance, this is the, the... This episode doesn't have much to do with anything else. The The general kind of character arcs are standalone. There's no horde presence at all other than their looming, which feels very filmation-y, of like, oh, we invented a new villain for this week. Uh, the the morals with the the pastry patrol, as we're going to call them, feels very obvious. Um, and there's even a point in the episode where a joke drives plot contrivances, where, like, uh, Punch Drunk Adora's inability to control herself, like, twists the episode and puts the characters in way more danger in, like, a very serious way, which I don't know that humor... Affects the um, our characters like that in other episodes of this show. So, yeah, this was the one episode where binging it all the first day, I was like, oh, maybe I don't like this show. And then next episode, I was like, oh no, I just didn't like that episode. Um, and watching it again, I liked it even less. I think it's easily the nader of the season. And so that's all the criticism I have. Whoa. So now talk me out of it. <laughs>
1: Eric's like, I love she so much. Please talk me out of it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with not liking an episode, but I feel like there's a lot of defenders and duo very seems very um invested and entrapped in Entrapped and in this story, so I want to know why because I'm sure that I am wrong.
2: <laughs> so I will begin by conceding that yes, this episode is probably the most tonally inconsistent episode, and I think in part it it's because it's attempting to do a few horror tropes, but for a young, predominantly female audience, mm. which just does not hit the right notes, right? Uh, I think you have all the, like, like, all the makings for horror, right? When you first encounter the robots, you know, they have this shambling gait about them. There's a, there's a severed hand, and uh, there's even, like, a Scooby-Doo homage, uh, you know, in, in the hallway, But I I think there's not enough tension to kind of drive the horror feeling, which I think is fine for a children's show. However, I will say that despite the tonal inconsistency, the introduction of the character in Trapta is what makes it up for me because I think she develops into something that's far more interesting than the framing of the episode itself.
0: I think that's a very good read, and I I was not able to articulate that, but I noticed a lot of the um, lighting and camera angle choices are very much horror genre, and I think you're absolutely right that, yeah, that's what this episode um, tries to channel, and maybe just for us like more um, jaded viewers, it doesn't quite get there.
1: Yeah, I wonder if uh, I were a kid, if I would find it scary. I found everything scary as a kid, so the answer is probably yes.
2: Yeah, so... The intro- so in the introductory scene when you no know, you first see the silhouette of Intrata you have two columns of robots hanging on the wall on each side flanking you know this dark silhouetted figure and then when the camera pans to the front of Intrata you basically see her welding mask and you know bright red lenses which you know is not exactly the most um, friendly look let's put it that way one would even say that it's vaguely sinister.
1: I like that her character design in general is pretty sinister, in my opinion. I mean, they gave her red eyes, which are often, you know, a sort of evil signifier in other media. And so they they lean into her uh, potentially going dark. However, I would argue that she's not evil. I think the word duo chose for her was amoral.
0: It is worth noting, of course, though, that the original Entrapta was a Horde member, and so when they announced her on the Princesses Alliance in this show, you—I made a mistake on this uh, on this podcast of like not thinking it actually was Entrapta because oh, Entrapta is a Horde member, they, it must be somebody else. No, it is Entrapta, and so I think there are a few nods to old school fans of like oh, maybe maybe there's a twist coming, definitely in the end of the episode, which is. Far more ominous than her um, actual character seems to uh, need at that moment. So this could be me reading into
2: like details that are too little, but I know you tend to skip the intros, Eric. But if you watch the intro animation again, um, there is a section in the middle of the song when they kind of kind of showcase all of the different princesses. And even though Intrapta is not the last princess to be introduced chronologically in the show, she is the last one to be shown right before Scorpion and Catchware are shown. She's basically on the cusp of the princesses in the Princess Alliance and the characters from the Horde. On the other hand, at the very end of the intro in the group shot, she is also in the group shot for the Princesses of Power. So that really so I think that's a really interesting duality just in the intro alone.
0: So Duo, what what is it about uh, about her character? Like Lauren called you an entrapped stan. What is it about her that you uh, you enjoy so much? I think my STEM background
2: is definitely related to this. Um, it's really nice to see a character who is a genius inventor on the show, um, especially after a few episodes. With you know, Glimmer has teleportation powers. Perfuma is kind of this proto hippie, and um, It's really good to have representation for the science guys, if you will. And also, I watched a lot of anime growing up. And so having a heavily anime-inspired character is... um, Yeah, that's also really good to see. When I saw her character design, I immediately thought Hasune Miku.
1: Oh, yeah. I can see that.
2: Right. And then I did a little bit of search for additional just anime characters with pigtails and... um. You know, Sailor Moon comes to mind, especially um, the growing up evil version of Chibi Usa. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even an anime character with no, with actually prehensile hair. You can see this on the show, but I'm going to show Lauren a picture.
1: Whoa. she's uh, This character is carrying food with her hair, which I don't know if if I had prehensile hair, if that's what I would do. But...
0: At least at some point in your life you would. Come on.
1: Yeah, I would try it.
2: Oh, most definitely I would if my hair were prehensile. Yes. Well, Entrapta
1: actually seems to assign most of her uh, (laughs) mundane daily tasks to her robots. She mentions that her robots even do things like basic hygiene. And so I found myself wondering, is her hair a technological marvel, an invention, or is her hair just like that?
0: That could be her princess power. Oh, it it,
1: probably is. It's
0: interesting to ponder. But, yeah, I'm glad you raised the issue of representation duo because I think it is so cool to have a STEM character in this show. And it helps break, well, for now, it helps break down the duality that, like, horde equals tech equals evil and rebellion equals, like, uh, nature equals good. Although we'll see uh, that does, you know, kind of shift as the season goes on there also is the issue that we talked about off mic um, about Entrapta potentially representing uh, folks on the spectrum, which is kind of murky waters because none of us are, but I think we should mention it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have family members on the spectrum. When I was working at the Museum of Science and Industry, I was in the children's area and there was a lot of training and concern surrounding that. And I can see why the comparison is made, um, particularly in Trapta's sort of hyper-focus on her passions and switching moments and switching conversations to be about the things she's excited about. I can really see uh, why some people interpret her as being coded that way. However... Uh, One of the great problems with representation is when you have only one character representing something, you have to be so careful with what they end up doing. And Trapta is so focused on her experiments that she, uh, you know, endangers her friends and even threatens to cut them apart with a scalpel at one point because that focus is so strong that it becomes a problem. And I think when that's seen through to its conclusion, she, you know, sp- obvious spoiler alert, ends up with the horde. And when your only character on the spectrum or your only character who's there to represent autism becomes evil, <laughs> or at least is extremely gullible to the point where they are tricked into being evil, mm, problematic.
2: Yes, I think this is why I choose to interpret um interruptor as having more agency in that she is not as easily manipulated by the horde and that her eventual defection to the horde is more
0: of a symbiotic relationship than we think it is i think that's that's a good read and in a way like we need a part 2 to this episode uh for the episode where she eventually defects because right now i mean if you've only seen these six episodes this does feel like a standalone but events of this episode and this character come back in a big way and end up kind of being the fulcrum for the entire season. So we can't get too far into it, but I like what you're saying, Duo.
1: I agree. And even when we get to that episode, I don't think her story ends there either. She's going into season two with some of this stuff, and so you don't want to make too many assumptions about really anything, and Trapta is.
2: Also, I just want to say that in the beginning of the episode, when... Glimmer, Adora, and Bo are on on their way to include Entrapta. Their individual treatment or their individual um, thoughts about Entrapta are very telling. Adora just doesn't see what the big deal is because she already has powers. Uh, Glimmer is very utilitarian, I think, in her framing of Entrapta. I think the quote is, no, Entrapta is going to be such a catch for... No, for the Princess Alliance, because she'll be able to provide them with technology and weapons. I think only Bo is someone who really is excited to meet Entrapta as a person because they share the mutual interest of inventing things.
1: Absolutely. And that comes up a lot in this version of she And it's one of my favorite parts of this show. It's that the princesses are imperfect. They're a little haughty, they're a little high and mighty, sometimes inaccessible, and we occasionally see them just using each other f- as as tools instead of as friends. Um, it's the reason Scorpia kind of has beef with the princesses as well because they weren't accepting they were rejecting of her, and we see in Trapta both sides really uh, just using her as a as an object instead of a person. In general, I have been surprised by some of the good guys' behavior toward one another because in that same conversation, they make fun of Bo for the arrows he's creating and they make fun of him for his hobby as well. And earlier in the series, we see Bo kind of making fun of Natasha and Spinnerella. And there's just, I just occasionally bristle, like, mm, be nicer to one another. There's literal, like, fascist evil coming and can you, can you just be kind? You need each other.
2: Yeah, I was thinking um, the Glimmer and Ador's dismissal of Bo's Sonic Arrow is kind of like a setup for the Chekhov's gun of the episode, which is the Sonic Arrow. As a narrative trope, I really like it, but I, I think you're also right in that people could stand to be a little bit nicer to each other, especially to Bo.
1: I literally, I literally wrote Chekhov's gun in my notes as well, because that happens a couple of times in this episode alone. And I'm also wondering if the disc at the end is sort of a long term Chekhov's gun when when Adora's like, I never want to feel that way again. You might.
2: <laughs> if you hadn't come, the bots would have gotten us for sure. And
1: I didn't know Shira could get sick like that. What if it happens again?
2: It won't. We destroyed that evil She-Ra-hating disc. Good. I never want to feel that way again.
1: Thanks for saving us, Bo.
2: All in a day's work for Bo and his band of kitchen knights. His baking brigade, Pastry Patrol. I'm still working that out.
0: Let's let's for a second talk about kind of the um, real-world implications of how this show presents the relationship between technology and I don't know, freedom or um, fighting for freedom from oppression or just kind of militaristic applications? Like, Duo, it's do uh, I understand that you have some kind of relationship and thoughts to that.
2: Yeah. So if I were to pin a political, um, like, thought onto Intrata, I think it would be technological utopianism, which is to believe that science and technology will kind of solve all of the world's problems. And the basic underpinning is that, you know, with advances in technology, we are going to get rid of any sort of economic scarcity. And uh, in the absence of economic scarcity, that will, in turn, get rid of all the social evils in the world. Which, you know, unfortunately, in the real world, it doesn't quite work this way. But we've had a lot of historical hopefuls. The, the the granddaddy left it to himself. Karl Marx was very much a proponent of this. He actually believed that you know democracy and technology are the two hands that will deliver us into the realm of freedom.
1: I'm trying to Google really fast uh, what that that thing is called in China, the like social oh, monitoring.
0: The, the rankings, like from Black Mirror. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's basically a social credit system. Uh, I think it began in development as a way to monitor people's actual credit score, and then um, various party interests basically folded several, you know, surveillance and data collection agencies into like this aggregate score that keeps track of everything from your credit score to your behavior online to whether you, you know. Like violate traffic laws.
0: And I think Lauren's smart to bring that up because that's probably the scariest example we have of like, does technology really make our human lives better or is it just a, a tool to keep oppressed people oppressed?
1: Well, and you know, the, the idea behind it from the people that are on its team, I believe is sort of utopianism. Like with this monitoring system, we're all going to be more rule abiding and peaceful and nicer. But I don't think we have many historical examples of those sort of rules being put on regular people from positions of power going well at all.
0: I mean, I feel like this is the laziest, like, English 101 comparison I could make. But isn't that literally Big Brother? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's exactly the philosophy behind Orwell uh, is, yeah, if the government watches everybody, everybody will do well all the time. I don't know that that's exactly what happens in practice. Right. So in this sense,
2: technology is neither in itself is neither good or bad, right? It really depends on how it is applied to our world. Um and, and I think this is a this is something that a lot of people in the tech world fail to grasp. I think they are they do have this utopian vision of how technology is gonna improve our lives, but like you said earlier if it's not accessible to everyone, then is it truly you know, making the world a better place?
1: If it's not accessible to everyone, then I would argue it's not. I would also bring up examples of maybe technology moving faster than people understand it. Uh, we just saw the Senate grilling google and by grilling i don't mean grilling at all i mean humiliating themselves over their lack of understanding of of what the internet is so when you have the leadership of america so clearly just not even getting what the internet is and how people use it and its potential the the people controlling the science can just run away with it
2: laura i feel like you have to state the. Specific case for posterity because I I think a few years from now, just people are going to say, "No way,
0: no way, this actually happened at a Senate hearing." Uh, I think you mean Steve King grilling the Google CEO on why his uh, nephew's iPhone turned up uh, negative quotes about Steve King when he uh, when he looks him up, Uh, probably on Wikipedia. So we're just mixing in like three different (laughs) platforms here. Uh, Uh, weirdly, Steve King maybe just shouldn't, um, retweet white supremacists or be like a raging piece of shit and then it wouldn't be a problem. But hey, man, Steve, you do you, buddy. And uh, fuck off. Wow. I was going for an example (laughs) that was somewhat
2: more (laughs) lighthearted.
0: I was referring
2: to the example of, I think Republicans were incensed that when people perform Google image search for idiot, um most of the first page is, you know, most of the first page are populated with pictures of Donald Trump.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and they're like, media bias, tech bias, Silicon Valley's against us, it is against the people, they're enemies of the people.
0: That's amazing. I will maybe, uh, to the counterpoint, say that um, technology has also facilitated voices being heard and information spreading in ways that it really couldn't in authoritarian regimes before. Uh, if you Google Twitter revolution and it takes you to Wikipedia, just like probably our friend Steve King, uh, there's at least five revolutions that have been credited to uh, people in oppressed countries being able to use Twitter to communicate, which is kind of amazing. And like as it has been established, I hate Twitter. Uh, Lauren's our Twitter voice. But I can't deny that this is... Very powerful. Similarly, you know, um, people say Facebook is a little bit of an equalizer in that it, uh, it gives people a platform to post that don't have a voice in most social discourses, which is very cool. So as you say, Duo, technology is neither good or bad. It's all in how it's used. And I think that the better technology gets, the more the people at the top will be looking to exploit it and exploit uh, everyone else. But also the more opportunities we have to really use it to affect actual change.
2: Oh, but people at the top are already exploiting science. Um, I kind of wanna wanna take this opportunity to transition into um, the topic of conservatives being like, cons- there's a there's a perceived stance of conservatives being anti-science. Um, I was at the science march a couple years ago and. Um, you know, and, and I think there's like a this general sentiment of conservative politicians are ignorant and they have, no under, they have no understanding of science. And, you know, in a sense, that's true. But anti-science, I, I would argue that anti-science is not so much a platform or stance. It is so much as it is an aesthetic. Let's, let's take an example. Let's say a Republican politician is dying of a rare form of cancer. Knock on wood. But, you know, do you think. Huh, wait, what, who, who? Like a senator? <laughs> sure, why not? Do you think the senator would refuse life threatening, like potentially life saving treatment because, oh, you know, I am anti science? No, that's not going to happen. The demonstrations of anti science is very selective, and it's because it, it, it fulfills their political narrative.
1: It keeps, it keeps powerful corporations powerful and profitable corporations, profitable to keep things the way they are. If we move towards sustainable energy, uh, you know, money would be put into the hands of different people and different companies. And so politicians who are getting their money from the status quo are very motivated to be anti-science, not in any real way that affects their lives, but certainly in ways that affect their careers.
0: And that, uh, it's, it's part of kind of the Republican ethos of like, oh, no, no, no this is for me. You know, science is, for me, the rich person who has everything in the world. Uh, science is not for you, the poor person who will use it to justify your liberal positions.
2: Right. And I think there is a lot of interest in power when it comes to politics, both the, you know, both the attainment and the maintenance of power. And to that end, people will you know embrace or denounce science and technology as they see fit. So on one hand, you can have politicians who would call climate change a hoax. At the same time, they would employ data science firms to, you know, help them out with their election efforts. Uh, Cambridge Analytica, for example, is a data consultancy firm that kind of had their hand in Brexit, the 2014 midterm election and the 2016 presidential election. You know, Republicans employed them and... Uh, Nowhere in there was they going to say, well, we're anti-science because data science is all natural. Um, They fully
0: embraced it and uh, they they came out on top. And to bring it back around to She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, again, spoiler, but we see later in the season that Hordak is more than happy to embrace anything that will give him uh, an edge in subjugating the people of Etheria. He has zero issue with Entrapta's background Uh, With the rebellion, all he sees is the wonders that her uh, machinations can bring to the Horde. Yes, but counter-argument,
2: with Catra and Scorpia, they seem to have fully embraced Entrapta later on in the season because they saw her value as an inventor and a scientist. I find
1: that very questionable, though. I think there's scenes that we'll see and, and talk about another day that say they... Especially Katra, just sees Entrapta's ability and not her personhood, but is a lot more charismatic about it.
0: Well, is fully on their Scorpia's own best friends on train. team.
1: Friends, yes. <laughs> Kitty. Huh? Just so you know, I'm a hugger. What? I want to bring one more thing into this episode, please, and that is the photo on the wall. That I only saw the second time I watched this through, where we see Entrapta with two robots who appear to be her parents. Wh- what? Who are her parents? Why does she have robot parents?
0: I ask that a lot about this show in general. Uh, I like that it's not concerned with who the princess's king and queen are, but... If she has robot parents, that is fascinating.
1: Well, and it also means if there was an original Princess Alliance, <laughs> that means there was, was a, a robot. robot in it.
2: Yeah, probably Drill Man. I remember seeing the picture, but I was more fixated on how much fun it looked like Intraptown was having. And the robots and Intraptown were all throwing up these, and it was great. Well, she looked very happy in that they picture. They looked
1: very happy. They looked like a happy and functional family. And that definitely is her family because the robot mom had the same hair color as Entrapta. Like, that was what they were going for.
0: I bet that they were probably gunned down in Robot Crime Alley. (laughs) That's what happens to anyone where you see a kid alone and parents in a picture.
1: Why would she ruin (laughs) me like this? I also want to point out that at the beginning of the episode... Uh Bo mentions that there is an Ethereum makers community.
0: That was lovely. Which
1: I love and to me does tell a story of the people in this world that are interested in tech are trying to share the things they learn with one another. And that just gives me happy feelings.
0: Agree. I also, on a positive note, I love Entrapta's hair. We talked about uh, its function. I also love its design uh, I just think it's so cool to watch all the different things it does. That was, to me, the, the nicest source of comedy in the episode was the way her hair casually carts her around and, like, gives high fives and things like that. Very cool.
1: Do we think she is in total control of her hair, or do we think it's got sort of its own personality, like a Doctor Strange cape sort of thing?
2: I would like to think that she is in full control of her hair, and I would go on to say that I think she is in more control of... I think she's generally in control of her life and her inventions, save for this minor mishap with the first one's tech. But you know what? As, you know, as a woman of science, it is the right thing to calibrate your parameters and try again because that's what science is all about. It's about replicability.
1: My favorite part about her in this episode is in fact that she keeps declaring out loud that her experiment has failed. It's failed. It's officially failed. And then within 30 seconds, it is unfailed and she is continuing on.
2: Um, I think the other message in this episode is that technology doesn't solve all of our problems because technology actually ran amok when... Intrapta attempted to fuse her robots with First One's technology and they took, you know, and they took the protagonist to humans to kind of get Intrapta out of the mess she was in.
1: She-Ra also, though, learned that she couldn't rely on her powers. So it might not just be a message about tech, but a message about just sort of putting all your eggs in one basket in general. If you depend too heavily on one thing and it lets you down... What do you have left? So maybe you should be like duo and diversify your hobbies. Princess Entrapta will be a total catch for the Rebellion. My mom's gonna be so impressed. Uh, I'm all for impressing Angela, but why is Entrapta so important?
2: She's a brilliant inventor. She makes robots and rehabs old tech left by the first ones. She's a pretty big deal in the Ethereum makers community, which I am a part of because I dabble in gadgetry myself.
0: Okay, so, wrapping up, we've met now the three main princesses who get, like, kind of arcs in the season. Because uh, we have one more left to meet, but her role is pretty diminished. So, Duo, Lauren, rank your princesses.
1: Oh, hold on. So, we've got Perfuma, and Entrapta, and, and i M-
2: I mean... I, I, I think for me it's more of a question is of who are second and third because uh, clearly Intrapta is best girl. Even though another proper uh, even though another like popular interpretation, like another like Twitter take on her is that she is asexual and aromantic.
1: Oh interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that again from the, the upcoming prom episode, but we'll talk about that another day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think for me, don't at me, it's going to be uh, Mermista 1, Entrapta 2, Perfuma 3.
0: This is perfect because now we have a triptych uh, of different favorites because mine is Perfuma 1, Mermista 2, Entrapta 3. Uh,
1: okay. Now we have to fight.
0: You <laughs> was you was the kind of person who watched... Um
2: princess mononoke and it's like yeah it's a forest spirit it's a forest spirit sword ride (laughs) Uh, you know
0: iron town was evil am i a hippie i don't know do i do i find perfuma compelling yes absolutely i do
1: am i really dismissive towards the people who care about me yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) what was that are you over it
1: I'm already over it. Why are you ruining it?
0: <laughs> and do I think technology
2: has potential to help us, you know, better the lives of everyone? Yes, I absolutely
0: do. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So there you have it. Uh, the rankings of princesses by three grown-ass adults.
1: Okay. Duo, if our listeners want to reach out to you, if you would allow them to do so, how can they meet you on the internet?
0: Um, I am on Twitter,
2: even though I I don't tweet a lot. I don't know how to use the Twitters. I don't know how to use hashtags. But every once in a while, I would dump really stupid puns onto my personal account. Um, my Twitter account is at Mialtima, M-E-O-W, M-E-O-W, like the sound a cat makes, and then T-I-M-A,
0: which, come to think of it, is like totally a handle intro that we choose. Uh, we'll be back next week with a visit to Mysticore and a look into Shadow Weaver, which is very exciting.
1: Finally. And
0: uh, until th- and then, uh, then it's the holidays. I don't think we're taking a break. Maybe we will, but you all should. So hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we love you lots. And um, I don't know what else. What else do I say here? Listen to your heart
1: when thanks for listening to Shira, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.